श्री गुरुदेव की श्रीमन महाप्रभु की जाए श्री गिरिराज महाराज की जाए श्री जगन्नाथ बलादेव सुभाद्री की जाए श्री गुंदी चमार्जनम की जाए हरिनाम प्रभु की जाए गौर भक्तवृंद की जाए गौर प्रमानंदली गुड मॉर्निंग वेलकम सो एस यू शेल्फ आई मीन येस्टरडे वी हैव वी इंटरप्टेड आवर मॉर्निंग सीरियस क्वेश्चन एंड आंसर्स टू इन ऑर्डर टू से सम वर्ड्स concerning bhaktinotakur's sacred disappearance but today we are back on track so we are celebrating today sri gundicha marjanam the famous pastimes of the cleaning of the temple of gundicha but we will be speaking about that today in the evening so for the morning we we are saving time if there are any questions and between not and So Harichana can go first because he's leaving today so Okay I wish I was leaving uh, in the afternoon Okay okay yeah Yeah I'll go to yours as well no problem Yeah but yeah Yeah There's this uh, Gita verse 919 Mhm uh where in the second part of the verse Krishna says I am immortality and death Mhm I am truth and untruth Mm-hmm. And the second statement I would like you to clarify mm-hmm. you said sat asat mm-hmm. how can krishna be that which is which is not hmm. okay so <clears throat> krishna being truth krishna being untruth there is, is instead we have been speaking about that i mean there are many levels of replying to that for sure on one level of course the term sat asat can mean sat can be true and untruth and also can be real temporary real illusory eternal temporary so by extension we can say i mean from the um abed perspective of our achintya abed abed equation or metaphysics as gaudiya vaishnavs is that bhagavan the absolute is one and different from his shaktis it's one everything is him and everything at the same time it's not him in the sense that there is certain diversity in the context of unity now for example we from the abed perspective abed means non bed non different bed means different So there is the two of them are important to 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 establish. So abed means non-difference which means we are not different from Krishna. It's from the abed perspective we are Krishna. Or everything is Krishna, we will say. And we are part of that everything. Which sounds kind of advaita vedanta. <laughs> so for for balancing that we have the bed perspective which is one and different. Bed means different. So in, in which sense we are one with Krishna we are one aspect of one energy of Krishna called tatastha shakti and that tatastha shakti is inseparable from him I mean the energetic and the energy and one and different <laughs> but one also but different at the same time so the two things have to be balanced properly 
कृष्णर तथास्त शक्ति भेदभेद प्रकाश जी वेड़ भय कृष्ण नित्यदास चैतन्य चरित्रमृत सो दीव शक्ति Krishna's tatastha shakti and that it's interestingly defining what the soul is basically is the tatastha shakti of bhagavan so it's one of the and it's bed abhed prakash it's a manifestation which simultaneously is different and non different agurmarsh likes to give the, the, the example of classical example of the fire which has heat light smoke and um sparks so all of them are one with the fire you cannot just speak about a fire that has no light a fire that has no heat a fire that has no all these things they are one with the fire they are inseparable but at the same time there is i mean there is a place for speaking of them in a separate way because what you can do with a fire you cannot do with a spark you cannot cook with smoke <laughs> basically no you cannot whatever you follow so there is a way to say all this is the same thing sparks and so on sparks will be tatasta shakti the smoke will be maya shakti and the heat and light will be swarup shakti which is more intimately connected closely connected to the fire sparks are kind of connected to the fire have some light but it's not the same as the fire and smoke is even more remote but still is a in connection with the fire it's an analogy but helps to illustrate this idea so going back to my point if krishna says i'm asat asat can be taken as that which is non sat or not eternal sat can be eternal so we could say krishna is maya shakti basically maya shakti is non different from him it's one of his shaktis and from the bed perspective a bed perspective sorry he's non different from that which is asat similarly in the chatur shloki of the shrimad bhagavatam sri krishna says that to brahma using the term sat and asat like those energies are connected with me that on one on one level on another level because again maya shakti represents what represents we call generally like illusion and illusion means that which is not sometimes maya is defined as that which is not which seems to be so but it is not illusion you take one thing for the other so asat has to do with all this idea no untruth if you will cheating illusion <laughs> but that's one of his potencies and and, and from the abed perspective he's one with that potency of course maya shakti has a purpose as we know because you may ask Well, why krishna has that why he needs to cheat us we are not saying that we have to, we have to know how to play out implications of of all this because the fact that krishna has a maya shakti and the effect of maya shakti is creating illusion is not the same as saying krishna wants to cheat us <laughs> one could wrongly understand how this works or that sometimes people say well but if krishna loves us why he put us here why he throw on, throw us into the womb of my shakti like victim consciousness basically you know? and someone has to be to be blamed for this and god is the ideal one <laughs> always for most time but this of course this type of pre preconceived notions have many 
faults in them. To begin with, when you say, why God in the first place put us in this condition? And of course, the answer to that is, there is no first place. <laughs> that didn't happen at one point in time. Uh, this, again, we are carrying our Abraham Abrahamic sensibilities, maybe Christian DNA, linear time from Western psychology. Everything began here. We fell from grace or whatever. And that's very delicate because very easily God will be to blame in, in those connections. But he's not to blame because he exists eternally and all his shaktis exist eternally along with him. Maya shakti, Swarup shakti, Jiva shakti. So he's not creating any Shakti. There's no one beginning point, as we said the other day. It's not creatio ex nihilo, as they call in Christianity. Creation out of nothing. Actually, our idea is all that exists will always exist, and whatever does not exist will never exist. It's not that something starts to exist and before it was not existing. In that case, something exists out of the potential of those things that already exist. Because we could say in our case, our Swarup is not ex non-existent in us, our eternal spiritual identity. But that's existent in potential in the Swarup Shakti. And when proper contact is there, that manifests. So the point is there is no beginning. The, the idea is God is not creating anything. There's no one beginning point. So instead of judge, judging him according to what he created or not, we should think, how he deal with those things that already exist. Because he exists eternally. Maya Shakti is eternal. It's not that at one point you say, okay, now we'll create Maya Shakti and I will put all this Jiva Shakti under illusion or something. <laughs> it doesn't happen like that. Already Maya Shakti is there. Already Jiva Shakti is there. Already Sarup Shakti is there. Already the Shakti Mam is there. The energetic source. So we are not to judge God according to what he created because he did not create anything strictly speaking. <laughs> so we are to judge him, consider him according to how he behaves with those things that already are there. He behaves perfectly. He exhibits proper justice in the realm of Maya Shakti. When the Jiva Shakti wants to connect with Maya Shakti, karma is there, infa infallible, perfect justice. And he shows mercy in connection to Swarup Shakti. And the Jiva is in connection to Swarup Shakti. So, <clears throat> but Maya Shakti is there again, because from Anadi, from time without beginning, Jivas have the option of choosing between one thing or the other, and many of us have chosen for quite a good amount of time to experience Maya Shakti. So, and God is not to blame again, because the option to choose Bhakti Shakti is always there also, from time without beginning. Maya Shakti Sanadi, Bhakti Shakti Sanadi. And it's present in the world from Anadi time, if you will. So, again, it's not that God... Why God created Maya Shakti? He did not create Maya Shakti. But Maya Shakti 6 exists there eternally as an option for us to choose. Also, if you, could, if you want to make that argument amongst loving Krishna or something else. <laughs> you follow? Because they're very... I mean, the, the, for love to make whole sense, it has to be voluntary. Imagine if I tell you, okay, you can love Krishna. You ask me, there is, is there a second option? No. So it's like, I mean, why you say you can do that? There's no other option. It's not that I can do something else. You fall. If I say, okay, love Krishna, but is there something else to do? No, that's the only option. 
So there is no choice. There is no free will. And there is no love, therefore. Because love is... <laughs> I choose to love you. It's not that I'm forced to love you. If I'm forced to love you, that's something else. That's not love. So, for love to be what it should be, there has to be another option, <laughs> naturally. And that other option is there, in the form of Maya Shakti, with all its implications. <laughs> we, we know which are the implications. <laughs> but all that is for love to remain what it is, for love to really retain its own nature, which is voluntary giving of myself in a particular direction. You understand my point? Sometimes people want to be... And some people say, no, this is complicated, I'm more simple. And it's, no, it's not your simple, you want to be, to be simplistic, which is not the same as being simple. To reach to be simple, that's a complex thing. <laughs> but be simplistic means I want to do away with those things I shouldn't do away. I, I have to try to think and go through certain things. In the name of simplicity, that's not the same as simplisticness. <laughs> you have a word for that? Simplisticity. <laughs> Simplicity and simplisticity, basically. You follow my idea. No? So, we need to understand how things work, especially if we are speaking about God, and we want to make God a simplistic idea. God is not a simple thing, like the, recently someone <laughs> was speaking with my Guru Maharaj. I, I mean, recently, that was on the Guru Purnim lecture, and he was explaining all that the concept of Mahaprabhu entails. No? Actually, we're speak, we are speaking these days, a complex concept, personality, and this Radha Bhav and Krishna in existential crisis, and this and that. And at the end one, they would say, but why God did what did God make the thing, the whole thing so complicated? <laughs> Why not more simple? <laughs> I like the reply. My guru and I say, well, it's not that God makes things complicated. He is complicated. <laughs> and we are complicated to begin with. I mean, try to think about your own self. We are complicated beings. So try to apply that to the Supreme Person, how much complicated he is. <laughs> So it's not that he make that complicated. Because again, there's no beginning point where he say, okay, I will make this like this. I will make myself complicated. I mean, he's there forever. We are there forever. Anadi, Anadi, Anadi. Everything is Anadi. <laughs> anadi, Radir, Govinda. So he's complicated from Anadi time. <laughs> and the whole meaning of life is to solve this riddle of complexity in connection with God being a complex person, we being complex people, human beings being existential crisis personified. <laughs> so what to, what, what to say when God has an existential crisis, how much more complex it is. We are invited to serve Him in solving that existential crisis and by serving and solving His existential crisis, we are solving ours as well. <laughs> so going back to Asad and Sad, <laughs> On one side we can say that, sat, that sat has to do with Krishna being truth and in truth we can apply that to the illuminating potency, Karup Shakti, Sat, the deluding potency, Maya Shakti, Asat. But also we can say from a more uh, Lila-like perspective, if you will, we have the Tattva Bichar and the Rasa Bichar, generally, these two, Bichar, Bichar means like consideration, like angle of view. So, tattva vichar, no consideration of some topic according to Siddhanta, tattva. And then you have bhava or rasa vichar, like 
according to Rasa, according to what's going on in the Lila, let's say. <laughs> so in this connection, we can we have been speaking these days about that. No? We find that according to Tattva, Krishna is Satya, truth personified. This is a very famous verse from the Bhagavatam. Let's see if I remember, because that's recently memorized. So <laughs> the Vedas personified are praying to to Bhagavan when he is in the womb of Devaki. So they are saying, Satyam Trisatyam Chachapa. Ah, I already forgot that. Satyam Nihitam. It's a, word, it's a verse that says the word Satya like 11 times or something. No? Give me one second. Yeah. And similar like yesterday, I wanted to remind this verse what Krishna was with the gopis in Kurukshetra and right after we finished the class that came to me. Mayi bhakti hibhuta namamrita to What to do? <laughs> so I will take shelter in technology in this case with your permission. So there is, there it is, verse 26 of second chapter of 10th canto of the Bhagavad. Satya Bratam Satya Param Trisatyam Satyasya Junim Nihitam Chasatya Satyasya Satyam Rita Satya Netram Satyatmakam Tvam Saranam Prapanam. So you have been counting how many times the word Satya is coming here. We won't explain this verse, it's too long, but the point is that everything about you is Satya, or is Sat. Satya means truth. So your vows are truth, uh, truthful, your words are truthful, you are truth personified in past, present, and future, I surrender to you the very personification of truth. So you are truth, truth, and truth. Hmm? So, hmm. that on one side, Krishna is satyam, sat. But he says also in the Gita, I am a sat. <laughs> so for that we need to go to Vrindavan and hear their opinion of Krishna. What's their opinion, interpretation of, of what, what's it, their thoughts on this verse of the Bhagavatam? These thoughts of the Bhagavatam are from the Vedas personified, are not from the Vrajabhasis for sure, <laughs> because they have another experience, as, as we know. As we know. Srotam api Upanishadam So, whatever the Upanishad, the Vedas say, that reaches one point. But what, the, what we find in Harikatamrita, which is another way of saying Bhagavatamrita, what is present about and ultimately the testimony of the Brajavasis, that's another thing altogether. So, the Vedas and the Upanishads reach to this point. Krishna is... Uh, this meeting is being recorded. Yeah, I remember a little bit late, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, the reach of the Vedas and the Upanishads is Krishna is truth, everything about you is truth. But Harikatamrita, the Bhagavad, the Brahivas say not something less, but something more. <laughs> and as we know, they will say, this is not like this. He's not sat. He's a sat. No. He, Krishna himself knows that, and that's what he's saying that in the Gita. No. He's a cheater, liar, thief. And we know all this long list, a playboy, and this. No. He, 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 he doesn't, I mean, in Vrindavan, they won't tell Krishna is truthful. I mean, he's known for breaking his words at every single moment. <laughs> of course, again, this is from the perspective of Lila. No? 
Krishna being in the hands of Plato, in the hands of the Brajavasis, and that taking him to act in one way or another. But with every single of his lilas, Sakya, Vatsalya, Madhu, in all of them Krishna is basically lying for one reason or another. He's been, uh, whatever, wrestling with some of his friends, he's defeated, and he will create some idea of, no, no, I won. <laughs> because of this, my nose was pointing high, and I was a winner. <laughs> Just cheating. And his friend was saying, "Yeah, yeah." yeah. <laughs> no? Or as we say the other day, he he was lifting Govardhan, and the gopis will say, "Yeah, you, you yourself made present as if you were lifting Govardhan." But Govardhan <laughs> was floating by the pious worship of Nanda Maharaj and it was floating naturally and you just came be below and put your finger there like if you were lifting that. You were not doing anything. You are so weak. We know we did. No? You are defeated on a daily basis with, on wrestling by Sri Dham and so on. And, and we just saw that the same. No? Krishna was eating dirt and just thought, do you eat dirt? No. I didn't eat the dirt. All the neighbors are complaining, you are stealing butter from every single house. And I don't know why they are saying that to me. They are against me. Some conspiracy theory. <laughs> I'm innocent. I don't, I don't, I don't know anything. <clears throat> I want to speak of Parakiyabha, which is the topmost clandestine forbidden issue. <laughs> and nobody knows that. But everyone suspects something, something special is going on between Radha and Krishna. But nobody is able to find them <laughs> together if we will accept of course for their intimates no? gopis and priyanarma saka and in the context of, of madhuri above the same thing no? krishna is coming to shirada and shirada has been waiting the whole night in the kunja preparing the whole flower forest power waiting for her beloved <clears throat> and he never came alone all the night and she has been crying and lamenting in separation from and krishna appeared just at dawn, but wearing all the marks of the loving battles with some other gopi, generally Chandravali, who is an expansion of Shirada in order to allow her to experience ma or jealous love, increasing the pranaya eventually. So Krishna appears with you know, the nail marks and, and, and some kajal and lipstick on his <laughs> body, uh, and, and Radha will say, I mean, you're a rascal, I mean, you have been not coming all night and, and you come with all the like with with all the testimony of why you didn't come and Krishna starts to create all this type of idea. No 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 these are not nail marks from a, a competitor lover but it was just loose I lost my way to the Kunja along on light and I was just like hurt by the thorns of certain trees in the way to come into you and this is not Kajal but this is my own Kajal that I was like crying in separation from you, and this was, and he's creating all these types of reasons. So, so all the manjuris are like, mm, we know you. Every single day almost, you have a new version of it. So, so again, that's more from a Lila perspective how they will say, Krishna sat? No, no, thank you. Asat. Now they will take this verse of the Bhagavatam and add the A to all these times Asat, Satyam, 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 Asatyam, Asatyam, Asatyam. No. The virus starts saying Satya Bratam. You are your vows are truth. I mean you can even go to Kurukshetra and he say, I will never fight here in Kurukshetra and, and eventually he has, he's trying to kill Bhishma. <laughs> and of course again if you properly understand why Krishna broke his vow or is always lying, it's always in the context of of serving his devotees basically. 
So in in, in that sense, his asat is is even more glorious, if you will, <laughs> mm-hmm. because it's connected to sat. And the word sat is included in asat in this case. <laughs> so some ideas, no? On some one more technical, philosophical level, we can say something. On, on a deeper level, we can say something more. And so many things in between, but at least these two perspectives. Here Ganga Shakti says if she may ask a follow-up question. And yes, you can ask it. You can unmute yourself, Ganga Shakti, or you can send the text as you prefer. Hare Krishna, good morning. Good morning. Uh, I suppose it's not the follow-up anymore because we passed the topic, but I will ask it anyway. Um, It it is a question that my daughter often asks, and I haven't found a good way to answer that yet. And um, I must say she's not really believing in God. That has to do, I mean, her father forbade me back back then to talk about Krishna. But her question that comes once in a while is, why does God allow injustice, war, hunger, why are so many children allowed to hunger in the world? I mean, from that perspective, she finds God very unfair. And I haven't found a good way to explain hmm. something. And if you could probably help me with that, hmm. thank you. <laughs> How old is your girl, your daughter? Nanga Shakti? How old is your daughter? Because it depends. Mm-hmm. Now my daughter will be four. What? Fourteen. Fourteen. Yeah, because there are different levels of reply. Like, yeah, of course, it's not an, an, an easy topic to to explain to a fourteen-year-old girl, uh, and, and I don't know her. And each person is totally different, and the background and the circumstances. But I kind of already replied to the question, what would I say? If you play out the implications of what I said, then you have the reply to that. Um, <clears throat> and again, this is a hard pill to swallow, sometimes even for devotees. You, you started the point saying that, that your daughter was thinking, why so much injustice in the world? <laughs> so we will say there's no injustice in the world. There's no inju- injustice does not exist. Because to say injustice is there means justice is failing. The justice system is broke, broken, if you will. For us, justice means karma. In this world, there's certain laws that we call justice or karma, which is called like divine justice, divine... No. So we say, yeah, karma works perfectly. I mean, there's no like failure in the system that was, again, not created. <laughs> That is there already from time without beginning, according to the interaction between Jiva Shakti and Maya Shakti. My Guru Mahesh will say that's the glue that binds the two of them. There, there has to be something connected, and that's why we say Anadi Karma. So, there's no injustice to begin with. And of course, next you will tell me, so then Maharaj, you consider that, I don't know, the Holocaust was deserved by all the Jews? <laughs> or something, you know, because you will go to those types of extreme, and it may be sound, it may be heavy if I say yes, but that's it. That's a reply to that. Why? Ah, I cannot tell you. <laughs> 
because you don't have a clue who they were. And, uh, and with this I'm not being cruel. That, that's the point. Because when we hear that, it's like, Marash. I mean, that, that, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to help those people in those situations. That's my point. I mean, you go in the street and someone is being hungered. Strictly speaking, because of his, her karma, that person is going through that experience. But it doesn't mean, I will, oh, it's your karma, so sorry. Remain hungry. hungry. No, I will try to help the person. And that will be a transgression, in the good sense of the term, of karma, in the form of mercy. Mercy means I'm helping you, although you don't deserve that. In the sense of, deserve means justice. What is just? You follow my idea? So just means I obtain what I deserve. And that means cause and effect, which means karma. So I act in a certain way, the result comes, and I may suffer tremendously. But a compassionate person will extend his her help on us, even though we do not deserve them. That's what we call grace or mercy. And that's our hope. I mean, that's why we are here today. <laughs> not because we deserve to have bhakti and to be in contact with Mahaprabhu. I mean, at least personally, in my case, no merit whatsoever. I mean, if, if I analyze all the things I did in this lifetime only, and do not ask... Do not ask me to think about previous life, and that will be too much. <laughs> Some people say, why I cannot know what I did in previous life? Because you will go crazy. I mean, <laughs> probably. <laughs> it's enough what you, what you have to deal in the present. <laughs> Sometimes we don't even want to know that. We want to just throw that to the shed in the subconscious, and uh, it's okay. Indeed. But So, if you analyze, I mean, in my personal case, I did all the things to oppose myself to, to grace in my life. I didn't want acting like Mahaprabhu will come to me. But that's how grace works. It comes anyway. So, and sometimes some may say, but why that person is suffering so much? Because maybe that person created, made that, some other suffering so much. Maybe not from this lifetime, maybe from previous life. We don't have that full, bigger picture and again. It's not necessarily that seeing that bigger picture will help. That may overwhelm us extremely. And we may be thrown in. Try to imagine if you for a moment see if, if you were a really bad person. I'm not saying you are or you were. And, and maybe you were. But you do not get over-identified with that because you are not that either. <laughs> but let's say you were Adolf Hitler in your last, 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 last lifetime. Or, or even worse. That can be. Jagai, Madai, whatever the case. Puttanas, we spoke the other day. <laughs> and you see your lifetimes and two, three lifetimes. I mean, that would be too much for you to, to, to digest the process. So our point is, there is no injustice. If you think there is injustice in the world, you are actually saying karma is failing. The law, the, 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 the law that presides in this world became faulty or distracted at one point and some injustice filtered there beyond the control of Paramatma. And that's totally, from our point of view, will be nonsense. I mean, we are saying that Paramatma like, became like busy and didn't see all. So, and there's some, some war filter over there. And for something. No. no, he's Antaryami. He's in every single heart and allowing each person to receive the fruits of their particular activities. I mean, we can see that. If you start to behave in an nicer way in this lifetime you start to feel better and you start to feel things are happening in a different way mm -hmm. so that shows the same idea if you do the opposite 
you are acting like a beast, basically. Okay, be prepared for the result. Not again, and karma is not chastisement. Karma is educational. There's no cruelty implied there. Because this is the idea that disturbs many people. You know, like God is cruel because he's allowing this to happen. But again, go back to the point I made before. He's not creating anything. He's giving you the choice to make. And the fact that you choose wrongly, do not put blame on him. I mean, the fact that we have words, and you may say, I didn't choose to have words. No, for sure. Hopefully, you don't know. <laughs> because we choose to have words in so many ways. I mean, if you remain being a selfish person, you would choose to have words on one level, on a micro level at least. I mean, if I'm selfish, I'm in war. I'm not maybe, I maybe do not have a gun and I'm going to the battlefield, but I, somehow I have another gun and I remain in some other battlefield, conflicting with other people and exploiting. So that's a localized principle of war. And you just multiply that for different people and cases and then you have a war, national war, because all starts by the individual level. You are selfish, then you have extended selfishness, me and my family. That's a principle of violence, strictly speaking, from our philosophy. If you think in terms of me and my family, as my family, and do not extend the principle of family to every single living entity, that's a form of war. Vasudhaiva Kutumbakam, says the Veda. There is only one family. So if you think in terms different than though than this, there's only one family, you are promoting conflict in the world. That's a form of warfare on some level. But again, multiply that for every single living entity that is selfish in this world. Eventually that will take the form of massive destruction, basically. So it all starts from an individual level, selfishness, extended selfishness, my wife, my kids, my family my neighborhood, my state, my country, my planet. It's becoming wider, but still, <laughs> it's not full, fully all-encompassing. So still you are promoting some form of violence. And wars have to do with all this idea. You know, my interest, and you are attacking my interest, so I'll destroy you. So let's go against him. So sometimes it's, my point is, it's easy to, to point somewhere else, no? Why God allows this to happen? Well, in one sense, you yourself are being part of that thing. Why God allows wars? But the question is, why are you remaining in war in one form or another? I say, no, no, I'm not in war. So you have to teach that person how to see that you actually are promoting that same thing in another way. I think, at least for me, that's something really enlightening. Not so much, because maybe the person is totally stuck in that idea and, and you have to go... Instead, stop speaking about God for a minute. You can, you have to say, let's speak about you. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if your daughter will accept that. But <laughs> in a loving way, of course. Not like I'm saying now. Here, basically, I'm trying to be loving. <laughs> let's speak about you. Are you free from selfishness? Are you free from exploitation? Do you still retain hmm, some separate sense of identity? If you do, and you have to be honest in recognizing that, Still, you're being part of the problem and not a part of the solution. So instead of complaining about the words in the world, first, what are you doing all that you can to be the best 
possible version of yourself now? If you are not doing that, and instead you choose to blame God for the words in the world, you are being hypocrite, basically. That's what we call hypocrisy. That's an evasive mechanism. God is to blame, or the governments, or the poor people, and hunger, but at the same time, I'm not doing all that I can to transform myself to be a fully selfless, pure, dedicated soul. So, as much as I'm not doing that, I'm, I'm, I'm failing on my side. So... So, I, as I mentioned, the, the words and the hunger, all that is result of karma. Result of karma has to do with the jiva choosing something else apart from bhakti. Whether in this lifetime, in previous lifetime, that takes the form of different fruits and results. So, the best thing we can do is not blame God, but try to be a good example ourselves. And, and with that, through that example, inspire others to understand how they can change their lives by take, using their will in the proper direction, basically exercising their, their volition in an enlightened way, and, and the world will change. But again, this, this has all to do with this idea, changing the world, changing the world. The world is bad, and it's, yeah, the world is, is, is going in many weird directions, but we are the world also. <laughs> We're one unit in that. So, if, again, if I'm not doing all that I can to be the best possible version of myself there, I, I have no right to speak about changing the world. I have to change myself. I'm part of the world. And that's the high, hard, hardest pill to swallow, even for practitioners. That sometimes we'll speak about preaching and sharing Krishna with others, but how much Krishna conscious you yourself are. <laughs> Yeah, you can share Krishna consciousness on an introductory level with everyone if you are on an introductory level. But that's not all. I mean, you have to become fully Krishna conscious. <laughs> you follow? So sometimes, instead of becoming myself fully Krishna conscious, I choose to just remain distributing Krishna to others only on an introductory level. And it's nice. I'm not condemning that. But the point is, the goal of life is that you yourself become fully Krishna conscious. And, and by doing that, you can... Distribute full Krishna consciousness to others. That's why well. Prabhupada did that. I mean, he was, before starting his preaching campaign, he was so much deeply absorbed in bhajan, in Vrindavan for decades and, 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 and so on. And he shared the empowered result of that as well. So I'm not saying stop preaching, stop speaking to others, but I'm saying in the name of helping others, sometimes that may be an evasive method to not work on ourselves to our fullest capacity. So each one has to do their own inner examination in that connection. In a sustainable way, we are not promoting neurosis and, 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 and shame and guilt and all this stuff, but but there has to be some healthy like inner examination. Interestingly, Srila Siddharmaras translated the word Admani Vedanam, the journalist translated as surrender sometimes, offering oneself and so on, he translated Admani Vedanam as introspection. <laughs> Interesting. So without introspection, there cannot be a real self-conscious offering of oneself. So, so some ideas, Ganga Shakti, you know your daughter better than me, so <laughs> hopefully something of this may help, and if not, do not be attached to the result. 
<laughs> and she's 14 years old, so let her be a teenager as well, <laughs> and be rebel and against God and the world that may be needed for a moment. <laughs> but you yourself have the proper answers in your own inner being, and in time that may that may also help. So I hope that's of some use for you and your little daughter. And of course, one more thing to add, I would say, going back to the idea of injustice, justice, we say there is no injustice. In this world, there is only justice. Karma is infallible. But if you want to insist on injustice, we sometimes say, okay, let's speak about injustice. Let's speak about causeless mercy. That's injustice. Divine injustice. Injustice means it's not just. I do not deserve that. So mercy is unjust, not because it's cruel, it's not negative, it's unjust because I don't have any merit to receive that, but it's still that's coming. Not because I deserve that, but because I need that. That's the principle of mercy, hmm? helping when I de even I deserve that the less, because that's when I need that the most. <laughs> so if you like so much to speak about injustice, no problem, we can speak about injustice. <laughs> We are here because of injustice. No? <laughs> we didn't. It was not just. We didn't make the proper punya or merit or credit to be a Gaudiya Vaishnava. But still, here we are. So that's injustice. But divine injustice. That's the only injustice that is possible. We have to add that on top of the. That will be the pastry on the on the cake, basically. On top of the pie, we have the divine injustice. <laughs> Shavananda had a question? Yeah, it's, it's very related. Okay. Um, also about the truth and untruth. Because mm. uh, you mentioned the other day about like in Kali Yuga being the age of hypocrisy, so mm. truth is not very popular. Mm. But I've also heard, heard it said that in Kali Yuga, truthfulness is the last leg of Dharma. Mm. I don't know where either of these two ideas come from, and uh, I don't know how they relate to each other. Mm. Okay. So I don't know if the ones connected got to hear uh, Chamananda's question, so I'm basically retelling. So he's asking on one side we have Kali Yuga being described as the age of uh, untruth, or let's call, sometimes it is mentioned, quarrel and hypocrisy. No? The Bhagavatam, we have this verse also, Prayanalpa, Yujasa, Bhya, and so on. Manda, Manda, Samatiya, Manda, Bhagya, Hipadrita, Padrita. No? And Kali Yuga people is disturbed and not inter lazy and not interested in truth and overall they are totally always disturbed basically so it, it paints a very apocalyptic stage where we are in basically of course we have we are to balance that as we know if we will follow with some other ingredients because if not there is no no hope whatsoever <laughs> what we are doing here and on the other side we have this idea that Shamananda also shared the question that it is mentioned that there are four uh, pillars, if you want to call them somehow, dharma, mm -hmm. which are connected with what we call sometimes the four regulative principles, right? As as uh, as they were, as they are asked from the disciple, in, at least in our particular lineage, you know, like non-meat eating, non-intoxication, non-licit sex, whatever that means, and non-gambling. <laughs> Which is connected with the four, these four pillars of Dharma called truth, purity, 
cleanliness and uh, truthfulness. That, of course, for that matter, when we say this, <laughs> it doesn't mean that, okay, I'm not gambling, Maharaj, so I'm perfectly truthful. No, it doesn't mean like that. No. I've never entered a casino. Is a casino here? So that means I'm truthful. Oh, eleven. yeah, we appreciate that. <laughs> but that's not the all in all. I mean, you can be a cheater in so many ways without going to a casino. <laughs> and the same with everything. No, Maharaj, I'm vegan. I only eat fruits. I only drink prana. So I'm totally ahimsa-like. I'm totally non-violent. But all these other people that eat fruits and vegetables are to be killed because they are not... And you say, oh no, no, that's not a hint. <laughs> and sometimes people act like this, no? We are vegans and whoever is not a vegan is like... <laughs> to say, okay, your ahimsa just was moved from one shoulder to the other. I mean, it remains there in another form. So I'm mentioning this because sometimes you may feel, okay, I'm following the four regulative principles, so I'm, I'm, I'm done with mercy, cleanliness, purity, truthfulness. No, that's like a beginning like how do you say the platform where the planes are flying the air, strip. air strip. strip okay Mahaprabhu says so <laughs> so it's like the air strip where you are taking we have to begin somewhere but there's so much to be said about developing this these values you know, in depth uh, so that on one side so this is connected to the section of the Bhagavatam where, where the personification of dharma appears in the form of a bull. bull. Hmm? So dharma is a personification of uh, bull is personification of dharma. So he appears and he has three legs which have been like how do you say broken. Yeah, broken. Okay. And these three legs are connected with cleanliness, purity and uh, Compassion. Yeah, yeah. So the one that remains is truthfulness, mm. and and the, and there is one personification, one person breaking those legs in in the description, which is considered the very personification of the age of Kali, mm. Kali Maharaj, mm. and that's when Pariksit Maharaj enters into this scene and he saves the bull from the last remaining leg, if you will, <laughs> to be broken, and he just ties, is about to kill the personification of Kali, and that's when Kali Maharaj takes shelter in, in, in Parikshit Maharaj and saying, please do not kill me, give me some place to reside, and Kali Maharaj say, well, you can reside <laughs> whatever uh, there is, all the stuff, gambling, illicit sex, intoxication, meat-eating, and Kali said, but there is not such a place in your kingdom. <laughs> I have no place to reside. So he adds a, a fifth one. They say, wherever there is gold. So it seemed there was some gold there. <laughs> Although, interestingly, in the scripture, sometimes gold is considered. These things are there also. One sense you can say, okay, wherever gold is, Kali personified is there. But also in Shastra, gold is extolled as a very virtuous thing. And many ladies and the ornaments in India, in all India, they have like all these gold bangles and in Brinda, full of gold in many cases. We hear in the... So the idea basically with gold has to do, we, we have to also try to 
figure out this, the, the, the play out the implications of the idea. It's not necessarily goal, but it has to do with excessive accumulation of wealth, basically. Hmm? Hmm? Rupa Goswami will say also, no, like, how, how is Atyahara? Atyahara Atyahara. Over accumulation, not only of wealth, but what to speak of wealth. We know what happens when that, what's, that's there. <coughs> By the way, some acharyas mentioned interestingly that, <laughs> that at this point Kali, uh Maras didn't kill Kali altogether because he knew, or, or somehow the arrangement was there, that if he will make Kali disappear, we will have this Gora Yuga, this golden age with Mahaprabhu and Kali Yuga. So that's that is to happen. So Kali Yuga needs to to be in place also for for the particular. Descent of the Gore Avatar. Hmm. So, the question of Shamananda is, <laughs> if I understood properly, on one side we have okay, there is truthfulness. There is one leg of remaining truthfulness, and at the same time, in Kali Yuga we hear that Kali Yuga is the age of untruthfulness, basically, or something like that, no? or, or hypo- hypocrisy, hypocrisy, hypocrisy. hypocrisy and so on so how to harmonize that so the basically the basic idea will be that when Kali Yuga described as the age of hypocrisy and laziness and, and so on it doesn't mean of course that every single person in every way and on every level is full of that and there is no place for anything else apart from that but that will be the like the the prevalent 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 current in comparison with the previous ages now all this also is always explained in the context of the three main ages the three first ages sorry satya treta and dwapara in our particular cycle it's in that order <laughs> in other cycles it's satya dwapara treta and this the very same name it's stalling that satya dwapara dua du how do you say in bulgarian too Okay, Dwapara. <laughs> and three, how do you say? Three. So, Treta. Kali. <laughs> but in this particular cycle, because of the descent of Swayam Bhagavan, Sri Krishna, Swayam Bhagavan Gore, in this Kali Yuga that happens one in the day of Brahma, to say that this, two of these ages are switched. First Treta and then Dwapara. And this Dwapara connects with, with the Gore Avatar then in Kali. So, <clears throat> again, in Satya, the very name of the age tells it all. Satya means the age of truthfulness. We were speaking about Satya before. Satya. So, only truth, basically. Everyone is a Paramahamsa. It is described. No, There is no Barna Ashram, for example, because everyone is beyond Barna Ashram. Everyone is absorbing truth, basically. So, no need to organize society and different material uh, Tendencies to accommodate and arm, barna and ashram. Everyone is a hamsa. Everyone is not interested in nothing from this. Something like this is described. And then, then we have Treta and Dwapara when it is said gradually all these virtues are diminishing. And in Kali Yuga they are diminishing in a more considerable direction. And the more Kali Yuga advances, the more that will happen. And the 12th canto of the Bhagavatam gives a pretty. Uh, scary apocalyptic vision of 
what will be Kali Yuga as it progresses. Uh, but sometimes it also describes like how will be the end of Kali Yuga. And you feel, <laughs> I personally sometimes feel them because it's described, this will happen at the end. So it, at the end means it will happen like in, in 400,000 years or more. You feel, but I feel this may happen in like hundred years or something. Some of these things, by how this stuff is going nowadays, I mean the Bhagavatam is being pretty generous. <laughs> but whatever the case, and of course, in the midst of speaking about Kali Yuga, the Bhagavatam will say, "Kalirdoshanidhiraja mahaguna kirtanadiva krishnasya mukta sangaparam bhajit." Now, this Kali Yuga is an ocean of faults. Imagine, ocean of faults means only faults, basically. If you are in an ocean, it's like, look here is ocean, look there is ocean. Ocean, ocean, ocean. Only uh, uh, Unless you look up, you know, in that direction there is something else. But everywhere else is ocean, ocean, ocean. <laughs> so, faults. Whatever you see are faults. Maybe because the others are faulty, or maybe because the nature of Kaliyu is that you see faults everywhere. Also. <laughs> But it is said there is one asti mahaguna. There is one mahaguna, one great attribute of Kali Yuga that makes up for all the ocean of faults. On one side of the scale you have an ocean of faults, on the other side you have mahaguna, one great quality. But it's not quantity; it's quality. The greatest quality, so quality, full of quality <laughs> that how they say overrides the ocean of faults, and which is that. Kirtanadiva Krishnasya Mukta That by engaging in Kirtan in this age of Kali, a particular type of Kirtan as you suspect, I imagine, you will free from all entanglement, Mukta Sangha to begin with, and from all attachment, Mukta Sangha, and Param Brajet. You will go to Brajet to Param, to the highest possible destination. In Kali Yuga. In Kali Yuga. Which, of course, is a way of speaking about Mahaprabhu and his Gaur-yuga, which is happening kind of in Kali-yuga, but it's at the same time constitutes an age of its own. Kali-yuga generally translated as the age of, how do you say, the Iron iron Age. Sometimes you have these types of... But for us, we are interested in the Golden Age. Again, gold can be auspicious. <laughs> so, the point is, yes... In Kali Yuga, the, the predominated side is non-interest in truth and what to speak generally, non-compassion, no this, no that. But still some, some, I mean the entry point, if you will, the possibility of entry point in Kali Yuga will be truthfulness. Even though there is so much hypocrisy and so on. If, if truth is presented in a compelling way, I'm not saying everyone will convince and at the end or the whole world will be joining Mahaprabhu's movement that, because that's not what it's saying in the scripture. And we shouldn't have this idea also that sometimes, okay, unless every, each and every single person becomes Gaudiya Vaishnav, no, we are doing something wrong here. No, it doesn't work like this. No, There will be always jivas. Hmm? In, in the material world, in illusion. That's what Mahaprabhu said to Tohu, Haridas Thakur, right? Uh, uh, no, no, Haridas Thakur. No. To Vasudev he said, he said, 
free all give the karma to all of them to me and he said by your arrangement by by, by how being someone like you here everyone is free but on another mm-hmm. side he said to Haridas Thakur because Haridas Thakur said I mean you are freeing everyone so at one point everyone will be totally delivered so the whole material world will go to ruin <laughs> basically what will happen to to Maya Shakti she's one of your Shakti she's not to be neglected and Mahaprabhu said, no, no, no problem. I mean, <laughs> there are unlimited jivas, unlimited universes. So when I, even if this whole universe is emptied, because I have sent all of them to spiritual realm, there will be unlimited jivas filling the universe again. There's no end to that. So, Bodhisattva perspective. We will return to freedom. The Bodhisattva has this instant. Okay, until and unless... All the living beings are delivered. We will returning over and over again. But the point is, okay, that means you, you will always remain here because there's no limit to to the jivas, basically. So yeah, the reply will be basically that. No, <clears throat> when it is said that one cycle yuga is the age of untruthfulness, means yeah, in comparison to other ages, and. And because of what we see here, there's not that much interest in truth. But at the same time, there is some little entry point in connection to truth if that is presented in in a compelled way. So that's our, of course, um, I mean, our hope, basically. I mean, you you have to go to your own, to one's own case, at least I'm thinking about mine, in my personal life. there was not too much virtue in my lifestyle, but somehow or other truth came to us. <clears throat> and that created some like portal and gradually more and more and more and more of that. So, yeah, it's connected to the idea also, as you mentioned, of costless mercy and justice, not deserving anything, but mercy comes in the form of a particular truth, an agent, sadhu, message, harikata. And that takes us to the interest of changing our whole lifestyle in terms of compassion and purity and claim like, like generally the idea is all the things will follow but contact with truth basically. So again, yeah, Kali Yuga is mostly known by that, but again, we have to bear in mind we are the Gore Yuga is happening at the same time. So 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 that's the entry point to the truth, to the ultimate truth for us. So, something like that. Okay, something else? Who raised the hand first? Okay, relative. Yeah, uh, so uh, I wanted to ask um, I have days when my sadhana and my faith are, uh, let's say, better, they flow naturally, mm-hmm. and I have days when it's worse. I mean, it doesn't happen naturally. Mm-hmm. And I know that this is a, um, like a Kanishta level, and I'm okay, I'm fine with that, but how can I make it steadier? Mm. Okay, so that's yeah one of the top five questions <laughs> of the history of inquiry in Gaudiya Vedanta, I will say. So that's a good question to make at that point, it's good. That shows you are concerned of, with making progress how can I so yeah as you mentioned generally on some stage of our practice 
<clears throat> we will go through the motions of what's called Anishtita Bhajana Kriya, which is described as my mudra is saying it all. <laughs> ups and downs, ups and downs. At the beginning, the ups and downs may be like ex- more extreme, even. You know, like, like today I'm there. You know? I mean, I'm just about to enter the Nitya Lila, <laughs> and, and, and I think Krishna is just. I, I think I'm curing the flood, actually. <laughs> I'm overflowing with compassion and I want to save the whole world and whatever and maybe the same day some hours after I don't know my my children are crying too much or, or my husband says something I didn't like that much and I want just to jump into his neck and just uh, uh, whatever no or, or I was just like <sighs> an anger and all this and you feel uh, where's the Christmas flute now <laughs> where, <laughs> where, what happened so then you, you realize, oh, no? so it's like embarrassing. Like one extreme, other extreme. One extreme, other extreme. So eventually this, how do you say, undulation, they say, oscillation, ups and downs. I mean, it's not that from one day to the other, you're like fixed now. But, but at least the oscillation becomes less and less embarrassing, we could say. Instead of being like this, no, it st- starts to be, <laughs> closer and closer to something more. Till one point you reach this that we call Nishta. But, because, but before this, it will be like. <laughs> and, I, and my arm can go, cool, could go longer, but I cannot do that. So it happens. Again, it's, to begin with, we have to accept that's going to happen. Of course, if, if, if you have been practicing maybe for, for other lifetimes, we, one may start the process without that much of an extreme. And even though one subjectively still may feel it's an extreme, <laughs> maybe it's not so much of an extreme of other cases. And we are not here to compare ourselves with others because that will be also neurosis. Now, each one is in their own particular process and stage. So... I will say to begin with, and, and, and this for me is a very important point to, to, to protect devotees from this, this unnecessary discouragement, discouragement. The idea that understand this is part of one practice. This, because generally we will feel this should not be happening. This is wrong. I'm doing something wrong. And that's why this is happening. And you subtly start to enter the shame-guilt circle. You start like to, and at one point that can take the form of the practice is not working. Maybe that can take that form. Maybe you can think I'm not working. I'm not working. I maybe even think I'm not worthy of this. This is too much. I'm I'm a disaster. This is not for me. I'll leave bhakti, which is the most unfortunate decision one could take. That's not the idea. That's not the idea. Or, or one could switch into another unfortunate conclusion, which is, Bhakti is not working. No? You can think, I'm not working, <laughs> and Bhakti is too high, or Bhakti is not working. And hopefully you don't think I'm too high for Bhakti. <laughs> that will be madness, but everything can happen. Especially in those moments when you are feeling like all these waves, and, and we and we know what that means. I mean, we are not here to make a show of being perfect devotees and, and totally transcendental, because that's also part of what does it mean to do to engage in sadhu sangha. It's not that we get together once a week 
to show pretty face and just everything is perfect and incredible and I mean let's not cheat each other of course it doesn't mean also to mean everything is a disaster and the worst possible it's not like that also I mean we have to find some balance and middle middle point as my Guru Maharaj will say Sadhu Sangha means every night you get together in circle and you start to share how you failed today <laughs> and how you can do better tomorrow and you receive some encouragement and you'll be here so I, for me I have this like aha moment when I was studying Madhurya Kadambini of Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur and he's describing when he's speaking about Bhajan Kriya which means engagement in, in practice and he first before reaching Nishta Nishta means fixity no? he speaks about Anishtita Bhajana Kriya and as I always say I describe to the devotees joking the six stages of Anishtita Bhajana Kriya we, we gave a series of lectures with the Bulgarian devotees last year about that and I say to them okay we'll go to the first one and each one will raise your hand if you feel identified with that and I remember every time I do that, and each one of the six is like, <laughs> if I could have four four arms, I will raise the four arms of them. No, Utsamayi, Ganatarala, Bisaya Rangana, all this stuff. No, like Niyamakshama, Tarangarangini, all these embarrassing chapters that happen in the context of bhakti. So it's embarrassing. But it's in the context of bhakti, so it's glorious. <laughs> it's a glorious embarrassment, we could say. <laughs> no. So he says, no, in the beginning, this initial enthusiasm, I want to give everything again. You are there. That extreme. <laughs> but again, after some brief time, you realize, oh, this is not so easy. I'm having some difficulty, you get discouraged. Mm -hmm. Yesterday I was like chanting, and, oh, and, and today I'm not feeling anything. It's not working, it's not happening. And so many other things in between, he said. You start to oscillate between uh, whatever, dualities in the mind, you are struggling with material desires, you feel that there are some desires that are pulling you in a direction that you know is not favorable. And, and, and it's okay that you suffer because of that. There is a healthy place for that. Not, not that you condemn yourself for having that and over-identify with your desire, but, I don't know, if you have a sincere desire to surrender to Krishna, something gets in the way of that. And you have, like, how do you say, like, allowed that to happen. You have, like, given, how do you say? I don't know how to say it. <laughs> Ceder, in Spanish. Ceder. To, oh, you conceded. Uh, yeah, like you not surrender, but give yourself to that for a moment, and it was wrong. There will be healthy repentance for that. So it's there's place for that. I mean, we should repent, repent in a healthy way. Again, I'm not saying about guilt and going crazy, but I want to do things that are favorable for Krishna and avoid those things that are not favorable, and that's not so easy because sometimes I see. Okay, there is the list. This is favorable for Krishna, this is unfavorable for Krishna Bhakti. You realize, oh my God, I have the list in the opposite way. Whatever is favorable for Krishna is what I feel unfavorable. And whatever is unfavorable for Bhakti is those things that I have so much attraction to. Yeah. So, I, I, oh my God, I need to, to change this list and priorities. In my, 
And you can, one may feel overwhelmed, like, oh, this is not possible. This won't happen at all. <laughs> but it's a gradual process also. No? So we have to have faith and confidence that gradually the, the miracle is happening. I mean, if, and if you see yourself from now to, I don't know, some years back, you can see, I mean, something happened. If you analyze today for yourself from today to yesterday, you will feel nothing happened. Something is happening, but from one day to the other, I mean, maybe you saw nothing happening. As if I told you, the example is given. You know, I tell Mirella, you put this, I put this seed now with water, and this has grown till here. So I'm coming in two months. So you keep for two months looking at this without blinking. Sorry for such torture, but <laughs> and you let me know if that grew at all. So I'm go, I'm left, and she remained like for two months, very surrender to the instruction <laughs> and I after two months I said so did it and we, we have measured that before leaving so it's like 20 centimeters whatever so she tells me no Maharaj didn't move at all and I was really there I trust she didn't fall asleep she was there and I take okay let's measure it oh 25 centimeters it grew but you were so much over that, on that, in the moment that you never perceive its growth, it went beyond your sight. But myself, that I left for two months and returned, even before measuring, I could see no, that's that's grown, that's big. Let's see. Oh, you <laughs> So, so the point is this: in, in the day after day, all this embarrassing stuff is there, and we may feel like, oh, that, I'm not making progress or this, but. All that's part of the progress. When Vishwanath Chakrabarti Thakur described this, uh, Anishtitabhaya and Kriya, for example, he also said, in lack of capacity to uphold your vows, that's one, a classical one. You promise something, and then you realize, ah, I cannot do that. I always share my own embarrassing story in that connection. In my first Janmastami. I, I shared that one right here. I will show it again with the camera because I, I want to be really embarrassed. <laughs> so first Jan Mastami I was there and the devotee told me, Oh Prabhu, you have to that time I was not even initiated the thing, yeah. So I was uh, I was Diego at the time. That was my secular name. So Diego, you, this is Jan Mastami is very auspicious for making some vows. So you have to promise something to the deity. Okay, okay, with all the naivety, fully naive, I went to Mahaprabhu. Mahaprabhu was there at the altar at that time. It's nice, very similar Mahaprabhu, bigger one, but very nice. He said, okay, Mahaprabhu, from today on, I want to promise to you as an offering of Janmastami that I will never eat more than required. You can imagine, I mean, I made a Goswami bow after some months in the temple. So, I will never eat more than when I require Basically, I say that internally. I was praying to the deity, so it was my. <laughs> so how long did my bow last? Last lasted for? Well, a few hours till twelve in the midnight when the one hundred and eight preparations came in front of me, and I just like merged into them. Basically, I engaged in prasad sayuja, <laughs> and it was funny because I was on eating one thing after the other, and like a half an hour after, I remember. Oh, I made the bow. <laughs> so embarrassing. It was not even like, oh, I made the bow and I'm about to break it. I totally bro break it, broke it, 
Uh, after that, I remember, oh, but I made a vow about this. <laughs> so embarrassing. But that helped me to realize, okay, I have to be more realistic when I accept some vows. I mean, I have to accept some commitment, but on a level that I can sustain. Now, it doesn't make sense to say, well, I will chant 64 rounds per day. Maybe you can do that the first day, first week, if you have the time. And, but if you don't see yourself doing, I mean, the idea is do something that you can sustain on a daily basis. I prefer you chant four rounds every day that you chant one day 16, two days no rounds at all, the other day eight, the other day minus four. <laughs> Better keep stable on something you can sustain and that will take you eventually to this nishta. Nishta means stability actually. So we should be able, I will say, in our lack of stability of present, be able to be stable in something in the midst of that ups and downs you follow you may be ups and downs ups and downs but at least something we should accept that we can sustain on the most basic level that we feel I mean not as an excuse to be lazy but we have to be honest and look at ourselves and say okay you have to ask yourself Mirella speak to Mirella yourself Mirella what you can sustain at this present moment how much you can sustain regarding know, chanting rounds or doing this try to be honest try not to be lazy try to pinch yourself a little bit in a healthy way but not to the extreme understanding I have husband I have two children I have work I have this and, and I do, I'm not seeing all those things as bad stuff also because that can happen also in the life of the devotees you know? like, oh I have all this material ba baggage no Baggage. burden burden I want to say burden sorry <laughs> on my spiritual life here no that's it's not like that everything should be part of the spiritual project so that's what Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur say he described all these embarrassing stages but he says but all of them are an aspect of Bhajana Kriya and Bhajana Kriya is one stage in Bhakti so all those embarrassing things are Bhakti <laughs> in, if you will I mean it's not that bhakti is full of embarrassment, but the point is to thread the path of bhakti implies to go through those chapters. You, you cannot avoid them almost, unless you have gone then through them in previous life and now you're just starting from nista. But generally that's not the case for, for most. So my point is first you have to allow yourself to go through them, because if you yourself do not, do not allow yourself to go through them, still you are there. <laughs> it's not that you you have transcended them by denying that to yourself. You can be in denial of something. It doesn't mean you have transcended that. On the contrary, the situation gets more, more like if you are, I don't know, an addict to something, and you just like cheat yourself. No, no, I'm not an addict. I'm not doing that. And there's people who get accustomed to lie to themselves on such level, they will start to believe their own lies. But I'm not doing that. And they convince everyone, I'm not doing that. And they convince themselves, I'm not doing that. And that's the most unfortunate possibility because who can take you out of from that world, basically? That's not so easy. You may require some heavy shock, electroshock treatment to realize, oh my God, I need to reconfigure. So the way of remaining to attain stability, first of all, again, be willing to go through that ups and downs for a while because not like anxious like, when this will stop, when this will stop, but learn from whatever is happening now. It may be embarrassing, but one needs to learn from that embarrassment. 
to begin with to be humble because embarrassing moment will really make you humble that's why they say pride comes before the fall <laughs> the other day when you saw the video the bhakti rasa shirt <laughs> that was funny <laughs> one good sister of mine shared one video and the title was pride come before the fall comes before the fall and she's pretty philosophical so i say there must be something interesting here <laughs> So she, there was a video of two people like wrestlers. I don't know which type of wrestling was that. No, but they were like wrestling, and there was like the whole like audience around them, and the two of them were start were about to begin the wrestling, which was the whole body, and one of them was like waiting to start, and the other one was like just like showing himself up and doing like and flying and doing like this and. <laughs> Before starting, it was like the preface to, here I am, look what I do. And he's like doing incredible, like, shoo, shoo, shoo. No? So, okay, so the <laughs> referee, you say referee, say, okay, let's begin. And this guy made one ball, and the other one who was so was like, he falls like this. And he makes like, <laughs> end of story. No? Pride comes before the fall. No? So he was showing all his pride, and then fall came. <laughs> so I felt that's really illustrative of how sometimes we may like show up and here I am and look me and so okay you have to learn from that also so <clears throat> but remaining in proper association on the other side no I mean we have to do our part to allow ourselves to go through those embarrassing stages understand this is part of my process is not to be just ev being evasive about that this part of, of, of the struggle glorious healthy heroic struggle as Archon City will put the messiness of the Sadaka's journey <laughs> and that's one of the main reasons we are doing those interviews you have to see those interviews so you can really feel oh I'm not alone alone in the embarrassed club or something no? uh, basically all of us have our embarrassing moments to share even if you see someone you feel oh that person is so glorious so high but for sure there may be some messiness behind now, there's this saying in at least in spanish i imagine you have your own version here that there is no saint without the past there is no sinner without the future something like this no? so <laughs> so the point is we to become a, a great devotee great i mean a pure devotee not great we don't have to try to be great great i mean by small <laughs> uh, we have to go through some things I mean so it's okay it's no problem but the willingness to progress that's important thing and then to remain in contact under the shelter and guidance of those who are there where you would like to go where you would like to be and remain under their their shelter and remain honest to them and to yourself and and, and develop faith not not like imagining fantasy but really understand and feel i'm going there gradually the confidence will will win if you will in the beginning you may have doubts and feel i'm falling this is not for me what's going on i will attain or not. but as much as you progress and you feel oh these guiding lights in my life remain there and they're shedding so my so much mercy and inspiration and i want to prog eventually hope will like how do you say prevail basically but we need
proper sadhu sangha. Without proper sadhu sangha, we lose sight of our prospect and all that we can be and hope in that direction. And we tend to identify more with our shadow, over-identify with that and get just sidetracked and distracted. And, and we know how the story ends. We have experience of that even on a daily basis for moments when we got distracted. So we have the two experiences. What happens when we get distracted? What happens when we remain under proper shelter? So the rest is keep trying, basically. And gradually, again, the ups and downs will become less ups and downs, less and less and less, and gradually nista. But nista is not a cheap thing, so we may we should be willing to pay the necessary price to arri- arrive there. That may take one lifetime, maybe. But no problem. If we really value that, we will be willing to pay that price no matter how much it takes. <laughs> and at the same time, again, have lots of trust in, in the love of the Vaishnavas. Because even if one gets sidetracked, you have to trust that the Vaishnavas will won't allow that to happen. I mean, their own affection will bring you back from your ears. Like, Mirella, come here. Where are you going? Just here. <laughs> I remember once when, when, when the Buddha told me that in Argentina, it was nice. He told me, Maharaj, and, and, and she was, she had like, you could, you could feel she had like some sort of aha moment, you say he loves me? Yeah, yeah. Like an epiphany. Like, she was just getting to know the devotees. She was doing some volunteer program in Argentina, and now she's living in the ashram as Brahmacharini for some years. So she was serious about what she said at that point. It was like, five years back or something. I say, she had like, oh my, I mean, this is it. This is me here. I mean, I want this forever. But at the same time, she was honest enough to feel, I'm so fragile. So I don't know. I mean, now I'm feeling this, but hopefully I may feel in this forever, but I don't, I'm, I don't know. So she came and said, Maharaj, please, if someday I tell you I, I want to leave this and I want to do some nonsense. You take me back from my hair and bring me back here. <laughs> I'm asking you this now. So I'm allowing you, I'm giving you the right to do that if that happens at some point. Please, take the confidence to do that. I don't want to do that, but if some moment I go crazy and I want to, whatever nonsense I want to, you have the right to take me back from my braid here. Say, okay. <laughs> That has not happened till now, so she was serious. <laughs> and I appreciated the point, you know, like like knowing that may happen. I mean, being realistic, not saying I would, that will never happen. Who never? Who knows? I mean, who knows? You follow? If you are, you say no, no. I promise this will never happen. You start to even doubt. Like, mm, you are too overconfident. I mean, you are like, like underestimating the power of Maya Shakti as well. No? So be careful. No? <laughs> So that's a good way of putting that. Even if we get distracted, we, we trust that the Vaishnavas are not distracted and they are following our case. And if they see some distraction, come back here. But we have to allow ourselves. That's a, that's our part. Because if we pre- put opposition to that, I mean, what can the Vaishnavas do? I mean, it's it's half, 50-50% interaction, two-way street, basically. You know? so, just in case. Let your braid grow longer, just in case. <laughs> <laughs>
as we have sick also the male so come to your back <laughs> one of the many practical applications of the sick so Mahaprabhu had one question we can finish with this one today maybe somehow related sometimes in my work people come to me and they speak about their job you work on with people yeah, yeah, but doing what? I know that, but for the rest... Ah, like I'm a psychologist. Okay, thank you. So they say, I want a job that pays good to have a meaning, you know, nice environment, and all these things that I tell them, but maybe you want more than one thing. You know, you want a job, you want friends, you want to be... You want a spiritual thing in your life, So, and you put all, everything on the job. Ah. And I'm thinking sometimes, do, is it... Is it I'm not, not easy. We do the same with Krishna consciousness. We expect it to give us uh, spiritual, to give us meaning, to give us uh, some purpose in life, to give us friendship, to give us even source of income. It, to what extent is it is safe to differentiate these things and see that we can have some of, the, let's say, the income? Maybe I just need to go work somewhere, not to expect I can find a work that is related with bhakti, let's say, to sell books or incense or whatever, <laughs> or do yoga. But it's not bad, but maybe for me it's not proper. Or to have, maybe the friendship part is important because it's part of the South Sangha, but to what extent is safe to search these uh, necessities outside of bhakti? Because we cannot put everything on Krishna consciousness, you know, the meaning, the... the even how to do on an everyday basis, mm. you know, because before in Vrinda it was so much projects, you know, that uh, even for the daily tasks you were fully engaged, let's say. Mm. But now it's more Krishna consciousness for the Krishna consciousness, and and personally I feel with myself and some other devotees this void that okay, but what to do? But maybe you need, I need to find some hobby to do <laughs> when I'm not. Uh, it's because I cannot read all the time and I don't have the capacity to chant all the time, so I have this free time, which there is no project, but maybe I can just, I don't know, do something else. To, to what extent it's safe to go outside for, you know, um, perceiving such needs that are not so related to Krishna consciousness, and what is the danger to put everything on Krishna consciousness, mm. all of my needs, because it cannot fulfill them in this, how I expect in the material needs I have, not the spiritual. That's whole lecture. You <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> should have presented that question tomorrow, so we have the whole morning to elaborate on that. But, <laughs> but you already elaborated the question so much that I'm sorry just to say, no, let's continue tomorrow. We can have it recorded, we can. No, 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 let's, let's, we have some minutes? Yeah, some minutes. So, and in case something else is to be said, we can continue tomorrow. But, of course, that's an important question and, and worthy of contemplating the, what to do with that, no? Of course, <clears throat> on one side we could say, in, in potential, uh, Krishna consciousness, if you will, Krishna Bhakti, Krishna can give us everything we need. I mean, 
as we quoted recently, Krishna say, I provide my devotee whatever he needs, keep whatever he he has, and by extension, take take what take out whatever he doesn't need, she doesn't need. But of course, he's also qualifying that statement by beginning saying Ananyas Chintayantuma, which means he whose consciousness is Focus in me only. So, for in other words, for someone who is exclusively surrendered to me, I exclusively surrender to him and provide whatever that person needs. And we have to get to go to examples like Madhavendra Puri and the ones we quoted these days. Of course, after that, the question is Am I Madhavendra Puri? How close I am to Madhavendra Puri? How much can I really? follow him without imitating him and, and we of course the answer probably will be I'm not Madhavendra Puri <laughs> so I may need some arrangements in my life I, I won't just be chanting and if Krishna wants me to fast or not to fast and sleep under this tree or that tree uh, and you will be telling your wife and Christina let's see if we eat today and let's see where we sleep and whatever because to begin with, you have a family because you felt the necessity of having a family. So, and that's okay. But at the same time, as we spoke these days, I feel it's good not to create this, like, dichotomy. dichotomy thank you. Duality of Krishna Bhakti and something else. My spiritual life and something else. So, you may recreate yourself you have some extra time. It's not a sin to have a trip with your wife and Christina, if you will. It's not like I'm not investing my time in, in the transcendental way or something. You are paying attention for to give an example, of course, so many things. But I'm doing that in such a way that that helps me to become a whole, whole, you say, whole human being. And that whole human humanity, humanness in me, I try to eventually express in the context of Krishna Bhakti. So I pay attention to that in connection to Krishna Bhakti. It's not that I have them as two opposite things, as separate things. So I will say basically that. You know? So there is place for, if you will, Dharma, Artha, Kama. <laughs> As Purusharthas, the Shastra is saying that. Shastra is saying goals of human life are you, know, you behave in a, in a human, civilized way. You pursue ethical uh, behavior. You pursue wealth on some level. For each case is different, but my point is there's place for that. You pursue sense enjoyment. I mean, calm means sense enjoyment. Scripture are not condemning that. Um, but again, all this on a, on a healthy level. It's not the. I mean, you are eating. That's a form of sense enjoyment on one level. Of course, you say, no, we're actually taking prasad, so that's totally transcendent. If you are on that platform, yes, for sure. But to be honest, how much when you take prasad is just honoring what, Maha, what Mahaprabhu tasted and feeling the saliva of Mahaprabhu in the offering? That's what Mahaprabhu was doing in Jagannath Puri. He received Jagannath Prasad. He was just tasting Krishna's Adarambrita, the nectar of his lips. He was not tasting how it tasted to his lips. But he was living the experience of how it tasted to the deity's lips. So, on one level, 
that may be happening on other levels till our senses are prevailing. But at the same time, that's a way that our senses are engaged and get purified gradually in contact with the sacred, sacredness of present. So there's a place, Dharma, Artha, Kama, but eventually, Moksha, and of course for us, Moksha, and something more. So the context is, this is not an excuse to entangle ourselves in, in worldly affairs, but we need to be like functional human beings because we are to enter into the Nara Lila of Bhagavan. <laughs> so Nara Lila means there's, there are human sensibilities there. So if you don't learn to be a human in the context of Bhakti, there is no place for you in, in the Nara Lila. In the name of transcendence, you become like inhuman, basically. You will go somewhere else, not to <laughs> our desired goal. So, <clears throat> yeah, I, I agree that the boat is, <clears throat> at least most devotees, because each case is different. But uh, you can be a devotee. <laughs> And of course, you have to expect certain things from Krishna Bhakti. It's not that everything will be searched for somewhere else. You will have, pur I mean, purpose, meaning. Yes. I mean, that Krishna Bhakti is to give meaning to our whole life. So <laughs> it, it fills our life with purpose. Friends, also. I mean, Sadhu Sangha has to be engaged in the context of, of friendship, affectionate dealings, confidence. That's what real friendship is. No, that's also another point. What's, what's, what does it mean to have friends? Uh, just to have some bunch of people that I do some nonsense. and That's not, I mean, for me, that's not to have a friend. No? Really, if you play out the implication of having a friend, it's not just superficial dealings where both of us will be saying what we like to hear and there's no challenge whatsoever in their relationship. I mean, I don't, uh, that's not friendship. I mean, of course, I, I have in Facebook 4,500 friends in Facebook standards, uh, but in my standards, I may count my friends with the fingers of, of one hand, if you will. In the sense of, I'm not saying I have a few friends, but real, ultimate implications of friendship. I mean, this, this is a very deep thing. And that takes time to have the relationship with the person and know each other and go through some tests. And, and, and really be sure I want this friendship to prevail and develop I mean this is not <laughs> this is not a joke that requires time so my point is you don't have the time in one lifetime to have friendship, deep friendship with 3,000 people it's not possible I mean, because it's a really deep committed so in that ideal of friendship mostly I will think in terms of Sadhu Sangha because there is a common ideal deep ideal higher ideal and, and so on so we have purpose, we have friendship, and maybe your main point was job and income and so on. Yeah, this idea to sh share, to live normal life and just things to be where they're supposed to be, and this all in the context of being a devotee, not just go in the beginning, like almost like living the temple. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, you know. yeah, 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 yeah. This, this is, I mean, again, we were speaking about that with, with whom? Bhakti Shakti and Uddhav some days ago. Yeah. In the, yeah. She never made the question, I told her, but now Mahaprabhu is doing something similar. Uh, <laughs> she made a similar question. Yeah, we have to understand the timing. So, for example, in, in Prabhupada's time, when devotees joining on that time, to be a devotee at that time meant to live in the temple. I mean, there was no other conception at that time. Because that's a particular 
social dynamics at that time. Everyone was living as a hippie, basically. Married, single, living in communities. In this room were 30 people living together or something like this. So they had no problem. Okay, let's move to the temple. You have three babies, no problem. Go to the ashram. There was a particular social dynamic that fit very interestingly with what Prabhupada was giving. <laughs> so that was one time, 50 years back or more. <laughs> world has changed a lot. So the point is sometimes that was the very beginning of, 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 of Krishna Bhakti in the West and with that type of standard. Like, you are a devotee if you live in the temple. And, and, and it, it was okay for the time because everyone was living in the temple. <laughs> but we see that at with, in time, some devotees felt the need of, well, I think it will be better if I will have my house with my wife and my children. <laughs> and, and it's okay. It's not that, oh, you are leaving the temple. Unfortunately, sometimes these ideas come, you know, like this difference. You live in the temple, that means something. You live outside the temple, that means something lower than that. In, 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 I'm going to say in English. You are internal devotees, are an external devotees. This type of like labeling, for me, it's totally unbecoming. I don't like that at all. Because, I mean, is it like if I just physically stay on this side of the door, I'm an antaranga bhakta, internal. If you live on this side there, uh, you necessarily are lower than me. Just because physically you are geographically located outside of this door. It's nonsense. I mean, you can be living as a monk and be totally, I mean, in Maya, basically. <laughs> and you can be a, a really house, sincere surrender house householder. I mean, it doesn't make a difference. So, <clears throat> but my point comes with this. I mean, this generational issue sometimes is carried along till now even to this idea of, okay, in the temple, we should live in the temple or everything should be... Of course, if you live in your own house, ideally your house should be a temple. It's not that I'm... Li I'm uh, I left the ashram now. Yeah, I left the ashram, one ashram, to enter another ashram. The idea is I'm not, I'm always in an ashram. No? Brahmachari ashram, now I enter Grihastha ashram, then I may enter Brahmachari, uh, Banapras or Sanyas but all of them are ashram. Ashram means ashraya or shelter. So ideally I, I'm moving in, in this protective circle always. But it will take different forms for sure. If you are a Grihastha with your family, probably you won't make a living by selling incense or something. And selling incense is not spiritual activity necessarily also. <laughs> The fact that devotees were selling incense doesn't mean that they, that makes the activity transcendental. I mean, the devotees at one time were selling vinyls and pins and, and ca baseball caps, Prabhupada disciples at one time, because everything began with books, but at one point, unfortunately, it took more collect money. So they started to sell clothes and baseball caps and pins and, C and not CDs at the time. How do you say vinyls? And yes, I understand the money was engaged ideally for a higher purpose. In that sense, that's connected. <clears throat> and in that sense, every devotee could do the same. I mean, you can be working as a psychologist. <laughs> and it doesn't mean, oh, that's not so devotional. You should be a, a whatever, make a living by distributing Bhagavatam collections only. <laughs> and it's like, well. <laughs> 
I mean, we don't find that even in the in the Lila. I mean, Kolabeche Sridhar was selling banana leaves. <laughs> if you want, so many other grihasta were having normal jobs for that time, mm-hmm. you know, like selling stuff and being doing this, doing that. So it, that shouldn't be an obstacle. Of course, if you say to me, Maharaj, I'm working in in a brothel. Okay, <laughs> I think we can adjust that. We should. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm the head of the local casino. I, well, I'm the main distributor of drugs in the whole Sofia. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm making a good living out of that, I'm sure. <laughs> but we're, I mean, that's, that's, yeah, overtly opposite to our ideal, but if you are doing something like being a psychologist or something that you feel it's according to my nature, I can help others on some level. It's not that I necessarily have to be speaking about Chaitanya Charitamrita, to my clients, <laughs> I mean that's not that's weird. I mean, you yourself sometimes needs to stop hearing Chaitanya Charitamrita and hearing something else also. No, so what to speak someone? <laughs> so we should be more like on earth, not landed on our feet here in that purpose. So in that sense, but the point is, whatever you are doing separately, quote unquote, that shouldn't be that separate as well. Somehow. You are linking that. I mean, you are learning from that. You are extending your experience to other people somehow. The money you are earning from that, you are spending <clears throat> Krishna Bhakti somehow. I mean, to maintain your family should be Krishna Bhakti, ideally. Hmm? But here one, comes one point that I think with this I may close my reply today. Which Jiva Goswami calls Sarup Siddha Bhakti and Sangha Siddha Bhakti. Also, there's Arup Siddha Bhakti, but I concentrate on this too. So, Arup Siddha Bhakti means to engage in those practices that are inherently Bhakti, like Shravan, Kirtan, Sadhu Sangha, directly, inherently Bhakti, those practices. And Sangha Siddha Bhakti means to connect activities which are no, not Bhakti, connect them with Bhakti. No? Like have, taking a shower, that's not inherently Bhakti. Making lunch, that's not inherently bhakti, but it can be. You follow. So, my point is, everything can be connected with bhakti, somehow or other, mostly, if you will. <laughs> of course, according to one's capacity also. But the point is, you will, it's not that, oh no, I'm not chanting rounds, I'm not reading the books, I'm not associating, but everything I do, I connect with bhakti. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I don't believe you with all this, man. Because in order to, for you to have the capacity or vision to do that, you have to be engaged in those angas of bhakti that are directly bhakti, no? like Shravan, Kirtan, and so on. So as much as we engage in this direct bhakti called Swarup Siddha Bhakti, we will be able to engage in Sangha Siddha Bhakti, which means to connect everything else I'm doing in my life as part of my bhakti project. So that's why we should have a good sadhana, understanding... The more I have a good sudden, that will allow me to, whenever I wake up from my chanting and walk in the world, if you will, I may be able to still see the things in the world in connection to Krishna with proper sambandha yeah. Because if not, I get distracted. And in the name of engaging everything in bhakti, I'm just getting entangled, basically. So, so yeah, I agree. I mean, in one sense, we shouldn't look for everything in Krishna bhakti, if you will, in one sense. But at the same time, we should be able to link everything with Krishna Bhakti. <laughs> no? 
So that and each one will make the proper adjustments according to one's case and capacity. You know, that, that. So I hope that helps. So we have to be closing here now. Thank you so much for your time and see you today in the afternoon for Gundicha Marjan Lila Kata Srila Gurudev Ki Jai Sriman Mahaprabhu Ki Jai Sri Harinam Sankirtan Ki Jai Sri Sri Jagannabalade Subhadri Ki Jai Sri Ras Maharaj Ki Jai Sri Gundicha Marjanam Ki Jai Gaur Bhaktavrinda Ki Jai Gaur Pramanam Ki Jai